Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tampering is one shift. Doesn't let us have witnesses. Doesn't let us speak. I've been watching today for the first time I started watching. And it's really sad when you see people not allowed to ask questions, It's totally, nobody's ever had such horrible due process. There was no due process. And I think it's, I think it's considered a joke all over Washington and all over the world. The Republicans are given no due process whatsoever. We're not allowed to do anything. It's a disgrace what's happening. Sir, do you believe your tweets and words can be intimidating? I don't think so at all. President Trump just moments ago asked about allegations of witness tampering after he launched a Twitter attack on ousted U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch while she was testifying today. She said that she did feel intimidated when asked by Chairman Schiff, the Democrat who leads the committee. Joining me now is Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who's on the House Intelligence Committee as well, and she questioned uh, Yovanovitch. Uh, Congresswoman, first of all, your reaction uh, to the president there, both about the uh, witness tampering, how his uh, tweets don't intimidate people, and also about the fairness of the process. So this was another bombshell today, just like there was a bombshell on Wednesday when David Holmes had overheard Mr. Sondland speaking to the president, the president kind of talking once again about wanting the investigations. Today, the bombshell was the president in real time tampering with a witness, intimidating a witness. And uh, it is so consequential that you saw the Republican members of the committee that I think were going to interrogate Uh, the ambassador more than they actually did, absolutely do 180 and talk very, you know, respectfully to her. Uh, I think Jordan was the only one, Congressman Jordan, who wanted to try and challenge her on why she didn't speak up when there was the uh, op-ed that was uh, printed that was seemed to be, from their perspective, uh, promoting one candidate over another. As to the word due process, this is not a trial. The members on the Republican side are not um, being given due process, where each side is being given equal time, uh, equal time. Every member has five minutes. Each side has 45 minutes to have their uh, uh, councils ask questions and five minutes for each of the members, both chair and ranking, to speak. So um, the president, once again, spewing out lies because it's in his interest to do so. What do you think the odds are uh, that, assuming there are uh, articles of impeachment, what do you think the odds are that what the president did today and how Chairman Schiff referred to it as uh, witness intimidation, uh, what do you think the odds are that that would appear in the articles of impeachment? Well, I think the obstruction of Congress article is gaining more momentum by the day. Not one piece of documentation has been provided to the committee from the Secretary of State, even though many of these witnesses have turned over uh, sheaths of documents, uh, reams of documents. Uh, We have not been able to have people like Mick Mulvaney, John Bolton, Mike Pompeo come before the committee to testify who have firsthand knowledge of so very much. So um, I think that article of impeachment has a great deal of validity. 
What do you make of the articles, uh, I'm sorry, of, of the moments earlier in the um, process, in the, in the hearing, when Congresswoman Stefanik uh, tried to speak and was told several times by Chairman Schiff uh, that she was out of order? Uh, what's going on there? Are the Republicans, uh, are they rebelling against rules that they think are unfair, that Democrats imposed on them? Uh, help us understand it. Well, I'm not quite sure why they wanted to to mess with the sequence. Um, They knew what the sequence was going to be. They also have the opportunity at the end to make motions, um, unanimous consent motions, to have documents placed into the record. So I'm not quite sure what that was all about. But over the course of the day, as it turned out, people were able to yield time to each other, and the chairman made that available to them. Uh, we should point out that we have asked uh, Republican members of the House Intelligence Committee uh, to come on the show and talk about the hearing, uh, and they have declined to appear, at least in the 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock uh, hour on CNN. Uh, ranking uh, member Devin Nunes, the congressman from California, uh, said that House Democrats are ignoring, ignoring real business in favor uh, of a partisan process of impeachment, that you're pursuing Watergate fantasies, the closed-door depositions downstairs are, he says, a strange cult. What's your response to that? Well, Jake, you know, I um, kind of respond strongly when he uses the term cult because uh, I witnessed a cult in operation back in 1978 with Jonestown, um, and I find his use of that quite offensive. Uh, But what I will say is that these depositions take place in closed doors, as they did in the Benghazi hearings. There were 107 closed-door interviews that took place um, during the time that the Benghazi hearings were going on that the Republicans were in charge of. So put that aside. As to the rest of the business of the House, there are 21 committees in the House of Representatives. This is only one committee that is focused on the impeachment right now. Uh, 20 other committees are having hearings, taking votes. We have been having floor votes. We just passed a bill on the restoration of funding for the XM Bank uh, today. And there are only 21 members who serve on this committee. So there's over 400 members uh, doing all kinds of work within their jurisdiction uh, and under their job uh, description right now. So, it, again, it's a phony argument, but uh, the Republicans are really having a difficult time trying to come up with some kind of message that works for them. So one of the theories of the case that we hear Democrats suggesting is that the reason Ambassador Yovanovitch was asked uh, to leave her post, was fired, uh, was that she was somehow going to be an obstruction to President Trump, to Rudy Giuliani, in their attempt to push to, uh, the, the president of Ukraine to publicly announce investigations into the Bidens and into the discredited debunked conspiracy theory that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election. Um, where is the evidence that that's the reason why she was pushed out? You know, I don't actually know, Jake, if that's the reason. Uh, I think that uh, Lutsenko, who was the prosecutor general, was offended by the fact that she was critical of him and speaking out about the fact that there was still a great deal of corruption in Ukraine. This was in early March of of 2019, and then they ratcheted up um, the efforts to get her fired. But that really started back in 2018 when Lev Parnas went to fundraisers for the president in April and then was at a private dinner with the president in May of 2018 and then contributed $325,000 to the president's campaign 
uh, later in May of 2018. So I think all of this has to do with money. Now, why the Ukrainian oligarch, whomever that might be, wanted to transfer money into a phony company in the U.S. and use Parnas and Fruman to dispense it, uh, particularly to the president, I don't know. They certainly wanted to have her out, and so the president obliged them. That's it. You're referring to Parnas and Fruman, who have been indicted uh, for uh, alleged uh, campaign finance violations. Uh, you just referred to the, the actual incident. It was that they, it was concealed uh, that all this money had been donated to a pro-Trump uh, super PAC. So you're about to go into this closed door testimony uh, with David Holmes, who's an aide to the top diplomat in Ukraine, Bill Taylor. Uh, and according to Taylor, Holmes overheard this phone call between President Trump and Ambassador Sondland. Uh, what are you expecting to learn from him? Well, I, we want details about what he heard and the conversation he had with Ambassador Sondland after the phone call and more about the, the nature of the, the lack of security associated with that phone call. A, a terrible breach of security, it would appear, and uh, I would like to hear more about that as well. Because probably um, more than anyone else, the Russians probably have the full content of that phone call. Do you know if there was anyone else on that call or if anyone else overheard? I've seen other reporting from the Associated Press and others that there is at least a second U.S. Uh, embassy employee in, who was also present at that restaurant in Kiev who overheard the call. Do you know anything about that? Well, there has been a, a second person that has come forward. We certainly haven't interviewed that person. I don't know that we will interview that person. We'll see how this interview tonight goes with Mr. Holmes. Congresswoman Jackie Spear, thank you so much. We always appreciate thank your you, time. Jay. We're going to take a quick break, or we're going to talk about the, this with the panel. We're going to talk with the panel about this. Apologize. Uh, so l- let's talk about what we just heard uh, from Jackie Spear uh, and Nia. Um, wh- what do you think? Uh, she seemed to not understand why the House Republicans are making such a big issue out of process issues, given that the rules are pretty well established. Yeah, and in this case, uh, you had uh, Devin Nunes trying to kick off, uh, give his, some of his time uh, to Elise Stefanik when you were really supposed to give it to the lawyer. In that instance, I, I thought, oh, well, he doesn't have much confidence in the Republican lawyer uh, at this point if he wants to give uh, some of his time to Stefanik. And you saw uh, the lawyer who got criticized uh, from uh, his test or, or his uh, questioning on the Wednesday. Republican lawyer, Steve Republican, Castor. I exactly, think Steve Castor. You saw him get criticized on Wednesday, and I think he probably got a lot of criticism uh, today too. I think he doesn't have a lot to work with in many in, in many instances, uh, and you see. Over these last two days, Wednesday and Friday, Democrats are methodically building a case. Bill Taylor laying out a pretty methodical timeline of what he heard and what he saw, uh, you know, over these uh, over months of a regular foreign policy and an irregular foreign policy. And then uh, Yovanovitch today essentially saying this is when it started. Right. This was part of uh, their effort uh, of uh, removing her. This is Adam Schiff's argument, removing her sort of allowed uh, the bribery scheme uh, to continue. And then I think you see from the Republicans sort of standing in place talking about the whistleblower, uh, talking about Hunter Biden, uh, talking about process. And it's unclear where they're going to land, right? I mean, they're, they're just all over the place, but in the same place, not really building a case, not really defending the president, uh, not really tearing down the case that uh, the Democrats are, are laying out. So it'll be interesting to see over these next days, we'll have testimony next week. Are they just going to sound like a broken record over and over again? Uh, Michael, and you heard Congresswoman Spear actually I don't know if contradict is the right word, but she had an alternate theory to the case yeah. as to why fire Ambassador Yovanovitch. 
She thinks it all has to do with these two individuals uh, uh, who are now under indictment, Alev Parnas and Igor Fruman, uh, associates of Rudy Giuliani. I think that they were clients of Rudy, and Rudy was a client of theirs as well, and somehow that made sense to somebody, but uh, where they were trying to make money, and they might have thought uh, that Ambassador Yovanovitch was going to be an impediment to their efforts to do whatever. There's a lot we could learn about what they were doing in this whole situation, uh, including, what, again, what Rudy Giuliani was doing. The person that seems to be responsible for their presence in this situation is the president. And and Republicans didn't talk about that at all. They also didn't talk about the president's conduct. It may be helpful to remember two questions that were repeated time and again during the Watergate hearings. What did the president know and when did he know it? Well, he seems to have been involved in this situation for a, a fairly significant period of time, trying to create a shadow government that was going to take care of Ukraine, apparently, to help his reelection. Although, Gloria, I should point out uh, that this the shadow government, uh, as Jim Jordan pointed out, Congressman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, uh, consisted of three individuals who had been confirmed by the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Volker, the former special envoy to Ukraine, Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the European Union, and Rick Perry, the energy secretary, as well as President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, so uh, he seemed to be suggesting the president has every right to use them to pursue whatever foreign policy he wants. I think the question, and Jen would know a lot about this, is what is Gordon Sondland doing in that that triumvirate there? I should point out Ukraine is not part of the European Union, which right. is an ambassador right. to the yeah. European Union. And, and he is, you know, he is a political appointee. That's that's fine. But his area of expertise, such as it was, was really was really not Ukraine. So what was he doing that there? Why wasn't Taylor a part of this conversation? The president can make that choice, obviously. But those are legitimate questions yeah. that I think every that I think everybody can ask. And maybe someone will be answering them sometime next week when he testifies. I I think tried to make the point. Another Republican congressman. Yeah, one of the Republican uh, congressmen essentially saying, listen, uh, he is the ambassador to the EU and people who are countries that are aspiring to join the EU, that would be under his uh, purview as well. She pushed back on it. That's an interesting interpretation. Yeah, she kind of pushed back on it and said, well, it wouldn't be uh, normal that he would have such control. I mean, and also Ambassador Sondland, he's not a normal, you know, Diplomat. Not a career diplomat. He's a political diplomat. He's a political appointee. There are certainly political ambassadors, but he is somebody who gave a million dollars to the Trump uh, transition. Uh, that's in part how he got this position. He's a hotel magnate. He's a West. hotel magnate. He wanted to impress President Trump. Um, he he may have had larger aspirations. So the, the 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 likelihood or the possibility that he was taking direction from President Trump, somebody who could give him a bigger job, is not hard to leap to. Obviously, we need to hear from him next week, but he's probably the most interesting but, witness. But he's the one who seemed to have an awful lot of access to the president, who was... The one who called him up on his cell phone. Exactly. Yeah. And it was considered the Trump whisperer <coughs> to, a, to a great degree. Uh, aside from Rudy Giuliani, when it came to, you know, when it came to policy regarding Ukraine. Can I just ask one question here? One thing I didn't hear today from Republicans is I don't blame the president for firing you. You should have been fired. Nobody defended the president, not only on Ukraine policy, the military aid being withheld, et cetera. But nobody said, you know, the president was right to smear you. And I don't blame him for firing you because 
you weren't doing your job. Did anybody hear that? Well, no, but I would say, <laughs> Congressman Rogers, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on this. They don't feel like they have to because all these people serve at the pleasure of the president, and they feel like that's, that's one that they can just say, well, the president gets to pick his own team. And I think that's the case that they tried to make over and over and over again, including the president. But they didn't say you tweet. should have been fired. Uh, but you can change, you know, you can change policy midstream. You're allowed to tap out of uh, uh. same with the U.S. attorney, same with the ambassadors. So the president is allowed to do that. I'm not even sure that would have made a great case for them, honestly. Um, what they did try to do was say that President Zelensky didn't want her there. That's what they said. Uh, yeah, in, and there in, was some in, reference to that in, in, the, transcript. in the transcript. Yeah. In the second call, yeah. In the second call. But this is why I think, uh, and I agree with Jen, Sondland is the most important yeah. witness that they will have. He was in he was in the meetings. He talked to the president. Uh, he talked to Zelensky. He was there with uh, with, uh, yeah. with Perry and he was and he was there with Volcker. And, and that and makes a, him the most important. Witness. And a reminder to Gordon Sondland, if you're watching, uh, look at the result of the Roger Stone trial uh, and uh, think about what he's about to go through. Uh, when you think about the answers that you deliver to Congress uh, next week, we're going to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you have any information regarding the President of the United States accepting any bribes? No. Do you have any information regarding any criminal activity that the President of the United States has been involved with at all? No. I think that public support for impeachment is actually going to be less when these hearings are over than it is when the hearings began. Because finally, the American people are going to be able to see the evidence. That's a little clip from earlier today. Congressman Chris Stewart, Republican of Utah, uh, talking to, asking questions of the former ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, uh, Yovanovitch, uh, with a line of questioning that seems to suggest if you don't have any, ev- any evidence that the president committed a crime, the public is ultimately going to turn against impeachment. Uh, Gloria, let me turn to you. How, how about that? I mean, the fact that the president hasn't knocked over a bank, I mean, is that, is that <laughs> well, evidence that th- this impeachment proceeding shouldn't be no, going on? No, and I, I, I think that there are new revelations every day in these hearings. And the question was very carefully worded. He said, do you have any evidence the president accepted a bribe? Not that he offered a bribe or attempted a bribe. That was not the question. And she said, of course, she had... Right, because the allegation is not that he, he took a bribe. Right, it's that he offered a bribe. So, so I think the congressman was very, very careful in his, in his wording. Now, he's entitled to believe what he believes, which is that, that these hearings are not going to change anyone's mind, and that may well be true. But they are painting a consistent portrait of what was occurring in Ukraine. And today, I think it would be difficult to watch these hearings without thinking, wait a minute, this woman was smeared, she was removed from her job, and yes, the president has a right to uh, appoint and remove ambassadors at his will, um, but lots of this was done for personal gain. The president can do a lot of things, but he can't use American foreign policy for his own personal or political gain, and that is, I think, the theme of all of this. And of course, happening as Roger Stone gets convicted is a whole full mm-hmm. circle mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and let me ask yeah. you, uh, go ahead. The, the, uh, further to Gloria's point, the way the congressman asked that question mm-hmm. of the witness was such a cheap lawyer's tactic, right? It's not her job to have evidence. She's not the prosecutor. She's not building the case. She is the evidence. She's part of the evidence. It's up to ultimately Congress, whether there's been bribery or not. So it's such a cheap trick. And I've seen it 
in trials to just ask one witness, do you know whether my client committed this crime? She's part of the story. It's not her job. But it's interesting you say that because Congressman Ratcliffe yesterday, uh, the Republican who briefly uh, was President Trump's nominee to be the director of national intelligence, Ratcliffe did that uh, not yesterday, but uh, Wednesday with uh, Taylor and Kent, basically saying, like, where's the impeachable offense? Where's the impeachable offense? And Kent and Taylor trained diplomats, one of them both uh, one of them in the State Department right now and the other one in Ukraine right now uh, said we're not here to do that. And both Ratcliffe and President Trump have cited that as some sort of evidence. They didn't have an answer about impeachment. It's exactly the same cheap trick. Twice repeated. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. That's, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, listen, I, they are trying. The Republicans have to make this case. And, and we've all pointed out this is not a court of law. So any the, the, the typical uh, uh, evidentiary procedures do not apply. Right. Check that box. So the Republicans are trying to make the point. I I just don't think they did a great job today. I mean, we learned nothing new. No one's disputed the facts about the call. Now it is, how do you interpret the call? Is it an impeachable thing that the president did or is it not? And so I think all of this is trying to make that point. So when they ask that question, they want people to see these witnesses saying, no, I don't have any evidence that the president did anything wrong. And that's what they're, this is all about the court of public opinion. That's what they're doing. All right. We're going to squeeze in another quick break. It was dramatic, but did Democrats strengthen their case for impeachment at all today? We'll talk to a key member of the House Intelligence Committee next. Stay with us. Welcome back. We're back with our politics lead. The dramatic testimony of ousted Ukraine Ambassador Maria Ivanovich. Just the second public hearing we've had, we've seen in the impeachment inquiry. I want to bring in Democratic Congressman Dan Kildee. He's the chief deputy whip uh, for the House majority. Um, so, uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Um, what to you was the most important part of today's testimony? I guess there were two things, and they're really more big picture. One was the the sort of calm and dignity that uh, Ambassador Yovanovitch conducted herself with, in spite of the fact that she has been berated by this president in multiple ways, that, that uh, there was this effort by Rudy Giuliani, the president's fixer, to undermine her when she was trying to represent the United States. And the fact that she was able to portray that picture with a lot of class and a lot of dignity, I think was really important. And I think the American people will note that. But it's hard to miss the most stunning moment and it had nothing to do with what was happening in the room. And it's this bizarre, unhinged, deranged president attacking a witness while she is sitting in the witness chair testifying to potential wrongdoing by that president. It, we, we have to just occasionally remind ourselves exactly how far off the rails this president has gone. And the fact that so many of my Republican colleagues treat everything he does as if he's uh, performing some sort of holy sacrament when what he's doing is undoing uh, you know, hundreds of years of norms and decency in our political system and also intimidating a witness that's testifying in a case that is being formed against him. So, I mean, this is thuggery on his part. So, Congressman, you, you, she said that she felt intimidated by the tweet do you think that House Democrats will potentially include witness intimidation in the uh, articles of impeachment should they be filed based on what happened today? I think it's very possible. The president clearly has engaged in a number of activities to try to obstruct this investigation, including now potentially intimidating a witness. Uh, so I think he, he ought to think carefully about how he behaves, of course, it's almost a joke to say that anymore, but 
no, in no real world, except the world that Donald Trump has created and that the Republicans seem to be endorsing, in no real world is any of this okay. It's not okay to ask a foreign government to investigate your opponent. It's not okay to intimidate witnesses even while they're sitting in the witness chair. It's not okay to, uh, to, to try to out a whistleblower because you don't like the underlying information that he has revealed. <laughs> this, is, this is painful. And it's sad. Congressman, uh, President Trump was asked about it today. He said he doesn't think his tweets are intimidating. And this has been the pushback uh, from several of your Republican colleagues. It's, it's just a tweet. Who cares? It's Donald Trump saying this. I mean, Donald Trump uh, it has, is a person who lies to his own benefit at every single turn. Of course he thinks everything he does is just perfect, just like the call was just perfect. But you know what? A tweet is communication, just like uh, anything is. And when it's directed at a person who is in the chair testifying about his behavior and derisive to her, minimizing her public service, minimizing what she did uh, as our representative in Somalia, a dangerous place where her life obviously was in danger. Shame on this president. Shame on him for doing that. Let me ask you a question, because we've heard two different things uh, from uh, Chairman Schiff, who said that he thinks that Yovanovitch was fired because uh, she was getting in the way of President Trump's uh, shadow foreign policy, trying to get the president of Ukraine to publicly announce investigations into the Bidens. But we just had your colleague Jackie Spear, Democrat of California, on, and she says she thinks it might actually have to do uh, with Giuliani's two indicted associates, uh, Parnas and, and Fruman, uh, talking about maybe they had some sort of monetary uh, aspirations that, that they thought that Yovanovitch would get in their way. What do you think and what do you have proof of? Uh, it's hard to, to figure it out. Uh, Rudy Giuliani seems to have an amalgam of interests and the president seems to endorse that uh, by allowing him to both serve in a political and a private way at the same time we're carrying uh, the president's water. So it doesn't surprise me that it's confusing as to what Rudy Giuliani's motivations are and who he associates himself with toward what end. But we, need to get to bottom, we need to get to the bottom of it. What do you say to people who say you, you don't have any firsthand witnesses in the sense, other than, Congress, uh, than Ambassador Sondland, who will testify next week, you don't have Mick Mulvaney, you don't have Rudy Giuliani, you don't have John Bolton, uh, and the case will not truly be proven to the American people unless you have those individuals? Well, first of all, if people who are, who are uh, defending the president are criticizing the fact that we don't have those witnesses coming forward, it's the president that is ordering those witnesses to stay silent when they're being asked to testify in this really important moment, number one. Secondly, we do have witnesses that are going to be able to testify. Obviously, Mr. Sondland is now going to have to answer some questions about the telephone call. He may try to deny that that call took place. It would be interesting whether or not the cell phone records would be something he would be willing to offer as evidence of that. That's just a thought that we ought to consider. Um, these facts are going to come out, and I'll tell you, I think you made this point earlier, Jake. Mr. Sondland ought to take a bit of a lesson from what happened to Roger Stone. Uh, the truth ultimately is going to come out. And those who deny the truth or bend the truth or try to avoid the truth could end up taking the same path that Roger Stone has taken. I was just trying to offer some friendly advice, given that Roger Stone had been convicted today uh, on seven charges, one of which was uh, obstructing a congressional investigation. It's a very good point, And I think it's a good lesson for anyone. 
Uh, Roger Stone is one who's always believed he can say anything and do anything. Uh, the President of the United States sort of falls into that same category. So maybe the President ought to take heed of what Roger Stone is going through as well. Congressman Dan Kildee, thank you so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Jake. President Trump released uh, the transcript, uh, or the rough transcript, rather, of his first call with the Ukrainian president. But there's something missing in the rough transcript that was brought up in their now famous July conversation. We'll bring that to you next. As certain very talented people wanted to ask questions. We're back with more breaking news in the politics lead. President Trump unloading today on the impeachment inquiry, as is his wont, attacking the witnesses and insisting he has done nothing wrong. In an attempt to bolster that argument, earlier today, the White House released the rough transcript of the president's first call with the leader of Ukraine. The second call is the one that's gotten all the attention. This is the first call. But as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, there's no mention of corruption in that conversation, which undermines the White House's key defense. Committee will come to order. As Marie Yovanovitch's hearing was gaveled in today, the White House released the long-promised transcript of President Trump's first call with the leader of Ukraine, which the ranking Republican Devin Nunes then read live on television. When you're settled in and ready, I'd like to invite you to the White House. We'll have a lot of things to talk about. The transcript immediately raising questions because it made no mention of corruption. That contradicts a readout published by the White House months ago, which claimed the two leaders discussed ways to root out corruption during their first call. The White House has insisted fighting corruption was the primary reason Trump held up the military aid to Ukraine, and officials didn't explain the discrepancy when CNN asked for comment. Today, the press secretary said Trump would only watch Nunes's opening statement, but for the rest of the day, he will be working hard for the American people. Though Trump later admitted he'd been paying close attention. I've been watching today for the first time I started watching. Everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad, Trump tweeted an hour into the hearing. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Then fast forward to Ukraine, where the new Ukrainian president spoke unfavorably about her in my second phone call with him. It is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint ambassadors. They call it serving at the pleasure of the president. In a surreal moment, Adam Schiff read the tweet live on television. Mr. Ivanovich, uh, as we sit here testifying, the president is attacking you on Twitter. Um, and I'd like to give you a chance to respond. I, I mean, I can't speak to what the president is trying to do, but I think the effect is to be intimidating. After facing criticism even from Republicans for his tweet, Trump said it wasn't witness tampering and insisted he had the right to speak up. I don't think so at all. And I'll tell you about what tampering is. Tampering is when a guy like Shifty Shift doesn't let us have lawyers. Tampering is when Shift doesn't let us have witnesses. Now, Jake, the White House just got back to us on the discrepancy between that call readout and the call transcript that we got today. They say it's standard operating procedure for the National Security Council to handle the readouts of those calls, which we knew. They say that this one was handled by the NSC's top Ukraine expert, who is Alex Vindman, the lieutenant colonel who testified behind closed doors about his concern over the president's second call with the Ukrainian leader and who we should note is scheduled to testify publicly on Tuesday. It's fascinating that they said uh, the individual name who wrote the readout. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Caitlin Collins. Um, Chairman Rogers, so the White House publicly says in a readout of the first call that corruption was one of the things they talked about. They used this as evidence for the last several weeks to talk about how this is something President Trump ca- cares about. 
the rough transcript comes out. There's no mention of corruption. There is a mention of Ukraine uh, and their contributions to the Miss Universe pageant, but nothing about, <laughs> nothing about corruption. And now they're saying that it was Lieutenant Colonel Vindman who wrote the readout. Break this all down for us. What do you think? Uh, well, I'm not sure I can break it all down. And I, you know, it's one of those oops uh, kind of moments. So I think next week is going to be a rough week. If, if Vindman comes up and corroborates that this is the exact uh, verbiage of that phone call, you know, once again, the president's finding himself in hot water. And the more he talks about it, the more he engages about it, the more he tweets about it, the closer to peril he becomes. Uh, and so, again, you know, my only advice to the White House was would be uh, find something else for him to do for a while. Yeah. Uh, he is just not helping himself. And the only time he's not shooting himself in the foot is when he's reloading the gun. And he has <laughs> just made an art of really screwing up any messaging for the Republicans to put together some notion that maybe he shouldn't be impeached. Maybe it was bad. Maybe it was inappropriate. I mean, I think all of those things, their job should have been, is, does it rise to the level of impeachment? It's hard to do that when the president is providing ammunition for, uh, for his adversaries. And Michael, you brought up something interesting, and, and maybe this fits into it, which is a lot of questions here, you think, uh, are based on Congress trying to establish a record of what the president's state of mind has been, if his state of mind is not talking about corruption in that first phone call, the state of mind of the White House and the president is to lie about the contents of that first phone call. Uh, Explain how this all fits in. So for an impeachable offense, I think you need two things. One is the bad act. The other is a bad faith, acting in bad faith. So the bad act can be, uh, is in the transcript of that second call. Now we see the Democrats trying to build a case not just about that call, but about the deviations from the normal procedures that was ordered by the president, deviations from the truth, which occur in not just uh, this tweet, but in other places. The tweet itself was, was not fact-based. It was basically a lie about this great ambassador's background. She's been, it's beyond reproach. Um, and then what we also hear from the president is a suggestion about that first call being about corruption. Now we learn it wasn't about corruption. Those deviations are hurting the president because they're showing he's acting in bad faith um, with respect to the bad act that he's committed, and that was to ask this country, uh, this country's leader, to help him with his reelection campaign. It, yeah, and there's also, no I think, evidence that he is ever concerned with any corruption, and and, and part of that was evidenced today by this woman uh, who was essentially fired uh, while she was celebrating uh, the life of someone who was interested. Uh, in rooting out corruption and, and killed in, in Ukraine. Uh, and so the question is, if he's so interested in corruption, why would you fire this woman who is a champion of anti-corruption efforts in Ukraine, got awards, uh, spent 30 years uh, in the service of this country, and most recently, obviously, in Ukraine? So it was it's sort of a, a mixed message coming from the White House. They're interested in the corruption, but yet the lady who's on the front lines doing that in Ukraine, they pull her back. Well, it's the core question, I think, coming out of today. I mean, with all these hours we just watched of testimony, the core question is exactly what you said. Why did you fire? This woman was, was, listed, was said to be a, a champion of anti-corruption by Democrats, Republicans, the foreign policy establishment. Why was she fired if your focus was on corruption and you didn't bring it up in either of the phone calls? So it goes to the root of this question of 
what 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 his intention was, why Giuliani was then involved, why Sondland got the job. I mean, I think that was one of the most compelling pieces. And, of the and she me, showed she showed no indication at all that she was against the president's foreign policy regarding Ukraine. In fact, she praised it. She was she was the the, the, the lethal military aid exactly. that Trump provided that Obama did not. Right, and she was talking about the importance of the javelins, right? And javelin and, missiles, yeah, exactly. So. This is not someone they, and she was asked directly, are you a never-Trumper? She said, no, I'm not a never-Trumper. And she expressed concerns about Hunter Biden. I mean, which is things the White House also pushed, giving her greater credibility in many ways. I think think that they don't understand that they're doing that sometimes. When they they talk about George Kent and Yovanovitch uh, expressing concerns about uh, Hunter Biden being on that board, which most of us, I think, would readily admit looks horrible and stinks, and and probably there should be laws against relatives of politicians doing that. And further establishes them as not being political, political of either party. They're not affiliated with either party. They're going to call balls and strikes of who did what right and wrong. They're for the United States. So let me just ask one question, uh, Congressman Rogers, which is we're, we're all trying to get to the bottom of what happened. We still have a lot of unanswered questions. We're trying to figure out what happened. As somebody who ran a bipartisan House Intelligence Committee when you were in Congress, um, are you hearing any Republicans, any uh, people from your party trying to get to the bottom of what happened when you listen to this testimony? Are there individuals there you think those are good questions or he's trying to get to the bottom of it all? I mean, I did hear some good questions. And I and from I Republicans, think, from Republicans. Yeah. And I think it's OK to question this notion um, that, gosh, this happened before when there was some question about ethics. Yeah. Having uh, the vice president's son sit on this board, uh, a company that we knew to be corrupt. Sure. We knew to have other problems, including tied to the Russia, all of those problems. Right. And so that would be okay uh, if they could draw it out to say, listen, what we're trying, this was a political event to impeach the president. They wanted to do that. They try every once in a while. They try to do that, saying corruption is bad. President was saying, hey, this is corrupt, too. And maybe we should do something about this. It does that rise to the level of impeachment. But the problem is what I find with the Republicans and where they're at. The president isn't helping them at all. Number one. And number two, they're they don't have that consistent message. Their message should be the same on all three witnesses. Why? Because the facts have never been challenged in any of these witnesses. And a reminder uh, that President Trump was asked several weeks ago on the on the lawn of the White House uh, if he could recall any other time with any other foreign leader that he brought up the issue of corruption. Um, because, of course, there are a number of instances in Israel or Saudi Arabia or Russia or North Korea where President Trump could bring up those things. And President Trump said he would get back to the reporter. And I do not believe he has gotten back to the reporter yet. Coming up, his name keeps coming up. So what are Republican lawmakers saying about Rudy Giuliani's role in Ukraine? That's next. Today, the ousted ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, fired back against the alleged smear campaign that played a role in her removal which was led by Rudy Giuliani, we're told. CNN's Manu Raju joins me now. And Manu, you just approached some Republicans about a person they don't really like to talk about much, Rudy Giuliani, and the role he played in all of this. What'd they have to say? Yeah, there's really not a full-throated defense of Rudy Giuliani and his role coming from congressional Republicans. Most of them sidestepping questions put directly to them about what Rudy Giuliani did, how he was enlisted by the president to pursue these investigations that the president had sought, and also as he pushed for this smear campaign, apparently against Marie Yovanovitch, according to her sworn testimony. Now, I just had a chance to ask uh, the top Republican on the House Oversight Committee, Jim Jordan, who sits now on the Senate, on the House Intelligence Committee, about 
about that, whether or not he believes that that Marie Yovanovitch was the victim of a smear campaign launched by Giuliani. Now, he would not answer that question. He uh, was silent for a few seconds, shook his head when I asked him if he believed whether or not she was the victim of this smear campaign by Giuliani. He did defend Giuliani overall by saying that the president does have the right to choose who he wants to help pursue his foreign policy. But, Jake, that is uh, certainly not uh, we're not hearing much from congressional Republicans about that. Instead, they were focusing today about how the president has the right to do what he wants with his ambassadors, not necessarily defending what Giuliani did. Yeah, a lot of time spent talking about the president has the right to do things and not whether or not the president is doing the right things. Uh, Manu thank you so much. Uh, and let's talk about this, guys, because here is uh, specifically what Ambassador Yovanovitch said about Mayor Rudy Giuliani today. I do not understand Mr. Giuliani's motives for attacking me, nor can I offer an opinion on whether he believed the allegations he spread about me. Clearly, no one at the State Department did. What I can say is that Mr. Giuliani should have known those claims were suspect, coming as they reportedly did from individuals with questionable motives. And, and Neo, first of all, we should note, President Trump has a long and storied history of believing conspiracy right. theories. Yes. Especially ones that benefit him politically, like the racist lie that Obama wasn't born in this country, or he saw on TV a bunch of Muslim Americans, Arab Americans, celebrating 9-11 in New Jersey. There's no evidence of that either. And on and on and on. Uh, here we have conspiracy theories infiltrating and affecting foreign policy. Uh, That's right. In a conspiracy theory uh, around Ukraine, uh, which uh, Putin pushed as well, right? I mean, you think about Nancy Pelosi saying uh, all roads lead to Putin. This was brought up uh, in in the hearing today that part of this 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 theory about the DNC server is all about uh, exculpating Russia from their involvement in the 2016 campaign and saying, no, it was really uh, Ukraine. Listen, Rudy Giuliani, uh, while all of this was happening, people thought he was a problem, right? You had John Bolton essentially saying this guy is, is a hand grenade. He's going to blow, uh, blow this whole thing up. Uh, you had Pompeo. I think he was asked by Volcker about Pompeo. He just sort of ro- rolled his eyes about Giuliani's uh, I- involvement. And, and, you know, Giuliani at some point said he wanted to come before the committee uh, with his charts and graphs. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to come before the committee. <laughs> and, and Jen, as somebody who's an expert uh, in the State Department, because you worked there, and, and then and you, Chair- Chairman Rogers, after that, this is an expert in intelligence. If you know that a president can be manipulated mm-hmm. by spreading information, even if it's false, about this ambassador is, an, is a never-Trumper, this ambassador is doing this, can that be exploited? Sure it can. I mean, I think one of the most interesting things Yovanovitch said today was shady actors the world over have learned how little it takes to remove a U.S. ambassador mm. who does not give them what they want. Mm. So the point is... Anybody around the world is watching what has happened here, and they can look at it and say, we can flatter President Trump, we can suggest to him we're going to copy his brilliant tactics politically, and in exchange, we'll get rid of U.S. ambassadors who are pushing too hard on us, maybe we'll get some assistance. That's the lesson they're taking. And very briefly, if you can, Chairman Rogers. uh, We have whole processes in the intelligence community with analysts to make sure that what lands on a president's desk isn't being manipulative of a de- for a decision or outcome they want. Whole processes. When you have one person who's stumbling around Ukraine uh, who looks 
I think a little bit more like Dennis Rodman in North Korea's efforts than he does a savvy lawyer and diplomat. Yeah. You're headed for trouble. Bad decisions are going to get made. And I want to just take a quick look ahead uh, to next week. Uh, the big testimony will be starting on Tuesday. Jennifer Williams, Vice President Pence's special advisor uh, on Europe and Russia, then and also Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who was on the July 25th call. Kurt Volker, former special envoy to Ukraine. Tim Morrison, the president's top Russia advisor now. Wednesday, Gordon Sondland. Everyone's going to want to hear what he has to say. Laura Cooper, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Russia, David Hill, Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. And then on Thursday, Fiona Hill, Trump's former top Russia advisor, who expressed concern about the shadow campaign. Be sure to tune in to CNN this Sunday morning for State of the Union. My guests include Republican Congressman Mike Turner, who's on the Intelligence Committee. He's going to join me, as well as Democratic Senator Chris Murphy, uh, who's been very active in, in uh, the Ukraine situation. You can see it all at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday. Uh, I'll see you Sunday morning. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.